Welcome to the One Hope Church podcast, where we believe Jesus is our one hope for a better life and a better world. We hope this message encourages you. This week, as I was thinking back, sort of immersed in this summer jam, which is what we call our VBS-style event. I think you've, you've gotten used to that. But as I was thinking back to that, I was trying to remember what it was like when I was in VBS. Now, it was, it was a few years ago. It was back in the 1900s when I was in VBS. I can say that now because I kind of I crossed into this new barrier, this new age bracket, and I'm a little bummed about it. I'm not going to lie to you. I turned, <clears throat> I turned 40 a couple weeks ago. And so when I was in VBS, like in the 1900s, VBS looked a lot different, right? We, we sat on the front steps of the church, and if you can nod your head if this was you, sat on the front steps of the church, you came in, you sang a few songs, you heard a little bit about Jesus, and then you went to recreation. We, we played dodgeball in recreation. Then we went to uh, craft time. We only used popsicle sticks and Elmer's glue. That's all we had, popsicle sticks and Elmer's glue. But we made some incredible things out of popsicle sticks, let me tell you. And then we went to snack time, and we had Kool-Aid and graham crackers. Was that you? I see some of you nodding your head. Yeah, that, that's what VBS was for me growing up. Now, for our kids... When they're going to VBS, they're having foam parties and snow cones, and they get sets like this. So VBS has changed. Summer Jam has changed. But the truth is, is that the gospel has not changed, and it is still powerful today. And so as I was thinking back on VBS when I was a kid, we used to sing a song when I was, when I was a kid in, in Sunday school in VBS, and it said, The wise man built his house upon the rock. I'm not going to sing it to you, although I am the worship pastor. I'm not going to sing for you today. But it said, the wise man built his house upon the rock. The rains came down and the floods came up. You know, the rains came down, the floods came up. The rains came down, the floods came up. And the house on the rock stood firm. Yes, the house on the rock stood firm. And it got me thinking about our final teaching in this series on James. If you've been with us at all this summer, you know that we've been in a a nine-week series on the book of James. It's taking us all the way through the summer. And today is it. Today is the final part of this installment on James. Pastor Scott will be back next week with a new series as we launch into August. But today I'm going to wrap up this story and this journey that we've taken through James. And I was reminded of this psalm because it reminds me of, I think, what James wants to give us in the final words that he gives in his letter to Christians. And so I want to ask a question today, and over the next 30, 35 minutes or so, we're going to answer this question together. We're going to find out, and we're going to ask ourselves, what is our foundation? What is our foundation? What are we building our lives on? What are we building our faith on? Admittedly, I'm, a, I'm, I'm somewhat afraid of heights. Maybe you're afraid of heights. But it's, for me, it's not necessarily the height it's what I'm standing on that concerns me. Years ago, when Carla and I lived in Birmingham, we, one evening we went to the Vulcan. Anybody been to the Vulcan statue? It's a beautiful statue that overlooks the city of Birmingham. We went to the Vulcan. It was sunset. It looked great. Like you, the doors, the observation deck open off the elevator. You step out and you look and you see all of downtown Birmingham. And it's this beautiful, picturesque picture. Just don't look down. Because if you look down... If you're like me, you get a little concerned because you're just standing on a glorified metal grate. That's it. You can see all the way to the ground. 
It's like if you go to the, to the Grand Canyon, you can walk out on one of these, these uh, glass bridges. It's a whole lot of no thank you from me. I'm not going to walk on something that I can see the ground below my feet. I want to know what my foundation is. I want to know what's under my feet. So our question today is, what are we building our foundation on? The lives, our homes, our families, the foundation, it matters. So you see this question that was on the screen, what are we building our faith? What are we building our lives on? And if we don't answer that one very important question, if we don't answer that question, then we'll realize down the road that we're missing something in our life. We'll be putting together this beautiful puzzle or this beautiful mosaic of our lives. And every moment of our lives will be this beautiful piece that fits perfectly into the story of who we are. We have every moment, the moment that we came to faith in Christ, the moment that we got married or graduated high school, the moment that our children graduated or went off to college, the moment that we had grandkids, the moment that we had the death of someone very close to us, and all of these small things fit together in this beautiful puzzle. But somewhere along the way, we realize something is just, something's missing. We don't have the piece to complete the puzzle. But in James chapter 5, I think he gives us the final piece of the puzzle. This letter that James wrote to Christians, it's just as important today as it was then. And so he spends four and a half, five chapters giving to us instructions on how to live a life of faith. And at the very end, he gives us this picture. So if you have your Bible or if you have your phone, it's going to be on the screen. I want you to find James chapter 5. James chapter 5. And while you're doing that, I want to give you just a little bit of an idea of where we have been the last eight weeks and where we're going. James is the half-brother of Jesus, though he doesn't bring that up in his letter, which I find very interesting. Because in James chapter 1, verse 1, you would think he would say, James, brother Jesus, listen... Lots of authority here, but no, he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's writing to Christians who have scattered around the Mediterranean basin after the stoning of Stephen, Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And when that happened and persecution began to ramp up in the early church, Christians began to scatter. And as James sees this happening, he sees lots of issues, things plaguing what was known then as only the way. You were followers of the way. You weren't a Christian yet. You were just followers of the way. And James sees issues that are plaguing the church, issues like favoritism trials, suffering, how to grow in humility, how to refrain from anger, how to seek wisdom, how to put your faith in action, be doers of the word. And then he gets all the way to the end of chapter 5. And he writes these words, beginning in verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. James' final remarks on this life of faith gives us this missing piece. It gives us this foundation. He says a life of faith is found in a life of prayer. A life of faith is found in a life of prayer. All these instructions, all the things that James has given us to do over the previous four and a half chapters, they all come down to one single instruction. Pray. Pray and everything comes into view. We want to know how to handle trials and temptations. We pray. We go to God. You want to know how to fight favoritism? Go to God. You want to learn how to put your faith into action, how to tame your tongue, how to live a life of humility and seek wisdom? Go to God. You want to know how to suffer well. Some would call it the sacrament of suffering. You want to know how to suffer well, how to persevere through the darkest days of your life. Go to God prayer <laughs> what's funny is if if it were that easy as james makes it out to be then we could be done right we could we could pray we could sing and we could leave and be the first people at our lunch or a really brunch spot at this point in the morning but it's 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 not that easy it's not easy to live a life of prayer that is found in our life of faith. It's not that easy to build our foundation on who God is in prayer. Why? Why is it so difficult for us to live a life of faith that is found in a life of prayer? And I, I think it's because we forget the foundation. We forget what we're standing on. We forget the foundation of a life of faith is a life of prayer. We forget simply to pray. We forget to pray. And today we're only going to scratch the surface of this giant topic of prayer, right? I've only got about 30 minutes to tell you all I know about prayer. Good luck is what you might would say. But I don't want us to leave discouraged that we can't achieve a life of faith that James is calling us to. I want us to leave encouraged, to lean in to a life of faith that is found in a life of prayer. So can we lean in together on this life of faith found in a life of prayer? Let's lean in together. And I want you to, I want you to understand one overarching thing today, one overarching thing that says this, prayer over everything else changes our relationship with God. Prayer over everything else, it changes our relationship with God. Richard Foster, who is the author of a famous Christian spirituality book called Celebration of Discipline, he writes, prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. Now, I don't typically use really big words like perpetual. Maybe, maybe you do. I don't, I'm not used to those really big words. So I'm going to break down exactly what Richard Foster is saying when he says perpetual communion. Prayer is the most central because it ushers us into perpetual, into a never-ending, eternal communion with God. Never-ending. That word perpetual simply means never-ending. It's eternal. It's ongoing. It does not cease. 
And then he says, into communion. Now, when we read that word communion, it just simply means that we are entering into a relationship. We are sharing space. We are sharing thoughts and ideas, but on a more intimate, more emotional level. So when we say perpetual communion with the Father, what we really mean is a never-ending, eternal relationship with God. That's all that prayer is. Prayer is the most central because it ushers us into a never-ending relationship with God. But the goal of prayer in our life is not to get something from God, right? So often, our circumstances force us to prayer. God, here are my needs. Would you meet them? God, here are my wants, my desires. Would you meet them too? We go to God to procure something, to get something from him. But the goal of prayer is not to get something from him. The goal of prayer is to know him. Perpetual communion never-ending relationship to know God the goal of prayer is to know him faith in God is built on relationship with God and that relationship is found in prayer faith let me say that again faith in God is built on relationship with God and that relationship is found in prayer did you know that you can know someone without really knowing someone? Does that make sense? You can know someone without really knowing someone. Let me, let me tell you what I mean. You go to work every day, and every day for eight plus hours a day, you are surrounded by people that you work with, that you know. You know their kids' names. You know what sports they play. You know how old they are. You know where they're going to college. You know where they've gone to high school. You know their grandmama's name. You know their granddaddy's name. You know all these things about them. They work in the office next to you. They work in the classroom across the hall. They are in the assembly line, two people down. You go on coffee breaks and lunch breaks with these people. You know them. And then, one day, one Saturday, you encounter them outside of the workplace. And you're like, whoa. Oh, that, that's, not, that's not who I thought it was because you can know someone without really knowing someone. James. James is the brother of Jesus. He obviously grew up in close proximity to the King of kings and Lord of lords, but James didn't come to know Jesus until after the death and resurrection. It says in John chapter 7, verse 5, Jesus' brothers didn't even believe in him. His own brothers. James knew God, but didn't know God. He knew Jesus, God's son. He didn't know Jesus, God's son, until after the death and resurrection of Christ. And then he began to know and believe, and he became a leader in the Jerusalem church. James didn't know Jesus until he knew Jesus. Paul Paul, New Testament author, who we attribute much of our New Testament to, right? Wrote letters to churches. Paul was a self-proclaimed zealot for Christ, for God. He knew the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, backwards and forwards. No doubt had much of it memorized. His job was to persecute Christians. Paul believed that Christians were threatening his faith in the God he thought he knew. And then one day, 
One day in Acts chapter 9, we are told one day that Paul is on the road to Damascus and he has a holy encounter. And he begins to know God. Not just to know about God, but to know God. And then everything changed for Paul in his life. And in his letters to the early church, he writes words like this in Ephesians 1, chapter 1, verse 17. He writes, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. In all of his writings, Paul's prayers for his friends, for churches that he served, aren't about his desire to see their circumstances change. No doubt they had difficult circumstances. But his prayers and his writings weren't about changing their circumstances. They were about being in perpetual communion with the Father. He wanted them not to be relieved of their circumstances, but to simply know God. Perpetual communion. Even so, he writes in the following verse, verse 18, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. The eyes of our heart. The heart is the place where our deepest convictions, our deepest desires and commitments are stored. And Paul says that he wants the eyes of our heart enlightened, open so that we might see and know the goodness and the glory of the Lord. Paul wants us to know him. In prayer, prayer is our opportunity to encounter and know God. Because when we encounter and know God, then we are changed. So at the heart of prayer is relationship. At the heart of prayer is communion with God. It's only in that relationship built on prayer, right? It's us and it's God. That is where we build a life of faith. It's not in the battle when we leave prayer. It's in prayer that we build a life of faith. And without that relationship, without that trust in who God is, we are left with mere instruction. This book right here, all that the Bible will ever be without relationship, is just a book of instruction. But with relationship, we build trust. And when we build trust, we begin to build our foundation of faith. And we begin to trust in this instruction, not because we've been given instruction, but because we trust the instructor. That's how we build a life of faith. It's through prayer that builds relationship. It changes us. Because between us and God, prayer is just a conversation that leads to our transformation. That's it. It's a conversation that leads to our transformation. Prayer changes us. And when prayer changes us, it changes two things today. It changes our perspective, and it changes our awareness. Perspective. Prayer changes our perspective. It changes our perspective. When we go to God in prayer, we gain a holy perspective of our life. 
It reorients our life because it brings God back into view of the world that we see. Some of you are golfers. If not, some of you may have watched golf, professional golf, from time to time. Now, if you watch golf, you will see a professional golfer will approach a ball on the green. Now, if it was me, mine would not be on the green. It would be in the sand, it would be in the rough, it would be in the water, and I would just hope for the best. But a professional golfer, their ball is on the green, and when they approach that ball, what do they do? They lean down, and they look at their ball in relation to the hole. And then they hit it. No, they don't hit it. They walk around to the other side. And they lean down and they look at their ball in relation to the hole. And then they walk around again. And this might go on for 20, 30 seconds, sometimes even longer. What are they doing? They are gaining perspective on their shot. And so often we take the Bradley approach to golf and we look at our life with a narrow view, a narrow perspective and we get caught up in that narrow view of our life and of our suffering. But when we bring God into the picture, when we pray and we ask for perspective, everything changes. God comes back into view. Our perspective widens. We know that what we see shapes what we feel. Our perspective shapes our outlook and when all we perceive is suffering trials temptation all these things that james writes about in the previous four chapters we can be left with a shallow view of faith a shallow view of faith but when we shift our view and we gain perspective and we fix our eyes on jesus who author of hebrews says is the author and perfecter of our faith Everything comes in to perspective. There's an old song at the church sung for generations. We still sing it some today. And it says it this way. When we turn our eyes on Jesus and we look full in his wonderful face, that the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Prayer is changes our perspective but not only that prayer changes our awareness if we're living a life without prayer we begin to lose awareness of the power and presence of god in our life we get steeped with sin sin that separates us from the father keeps us from perpetual communion with the father it dulls our sensitivity to the awareness of god but when we're in relationship with God through prayer, our awareness of God changes. Prayer is filled with an awareness of the presence and power of God. In the 1600s, there was a monk named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a French monk, was in the French army, and in the early 1600s, he was injured. And that injury left him in a life of pain where he was hurting every single day. So he left the army, and he took a job as a footman in a wealthy home, and when that didn't pan out, he said, well, I guess I'll move to a monastery. So Brother Lawrence goes to a monastery, and his one goal in life was to keep the power and the presence of God around him at all times. That seems easy enough. He even said this in the series of letters. He wrote, we must know God before we can love God. And in order to know God, we must think of him often. He wanted nothing more than to practice the presence of God in his life. 
that God's presence would be in all things. Now, that sounds easy enough for someone like Brother Lawrence. He even just, he said this. He said, oh, we just need to recognize that God is intimately present with us and address ourselves to him in every moment. Brother Lawrence obviously didn't have the distractions that we have, didn't have 24-hour news, didn't have phones with Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all these other things on it, didn't have small kids, right, running around, chasing you around the house, asking for snacks, asking for food, asking for all these things. He didn't have those distractions that we have. But what Brother Lawrence did have, he had pain and he had suffering every day. And in the midst of his pain, in the midst of his suffering, he prayed that he might gain perspective. He, gained that, he prayed that he might gain awareness of the world around him because in awareness, through God's awareness, the presence and the power of God begins to grow around us. We begin to focus not on asking God for things, but on listening to God for things. We begin to gain a holy perspective of our suffering. We become sensitive to the wooing of the Holy Spirit, the drawing of the Holy Spirit, bringing us into perpetual communion with God. Prayer changes our perspective. It changes our awareness. But today, we can't stop there. We can't stop there. Because James, God, is calling us one more step because prayer is more than just us and God it has to be it has to be more than just us and God prayer is not just us and God it's us and others prayer is us and others prayer changes the way that we engage our neighbor it changes the way we engage our neighbor if we look back at scripture James doesn't stop in verse 13 when he says, is anyone in trouble? Let them pray. No, he moves on to verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them. Then he moves to verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Our life of faith, our life of faith must be found in our relationship with God. The foundation it must be found in our relationship with God, but it must be lived out in community with one another. Our life of faith must be found in our relationship with God, perpetual communion, but it must be lived out in relationship with one another in the context of community. All these things that James gives us direction on, all these things, they become easier they come into view. We invite God in when we're praying for each other because we're praying for each other. It's a lot harder to show favoritism like James writes about in chapter two. It's a lot easier for us to be mindful and careful with our words. It's a lot easier for us to, to believe the best about a situation or about someone when we're praying for them and for that situation. It's a lot harder for us to be angry with our spouse or with our kids when we're praying with and for them. When we're praying for each other, we are much more likely to put action to our faith, be doers of the word, as James says. Humility will abound in our life. We will have patience in our suffering. We will seek the wisdom and righteousness of the Lord and our perspective 
not just for us, but for others, begins to change. And our awareness of the work of God and the lives of those around us begins to grow. Because when we walk into this place, week after week, we don't just come and encounter the living God. We come and encounter each other. It's not just about us and God. It's about us and others. We don't just encounter Jesus, we encounter each other. And Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way we fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way we will fulfill the law of Christ. And so for us today, the question has to move beyond what is the foundation, right? We answered that question early on. The foundation of a life of faith is a life of prayer. But we have to ask one more question. Are we praying for each other? Are we praying for each other? It has to move past us and God. It has to move to us and others. Are we praying for each other? And if if you've been around church for any length of time, this might just be your first day. You might have walked through these doors for the first time. You might be watching online for the very first time. And you have very little experience in church or in religion at all. But if you've lived in the South for any length of time, you probably have heard this phrase or this statement. I'm praying for you. I'll be praying for you. I'm so sorry. I'll be praying for you. I want you to hear me when I say I'm just as guilty as the next. But so often we say that, and then unintentionally as it may be, we forget. Because life happens, conversations happen, things come up, other people come into view, and we forget. We forget to actually pray. And I wonder, I wonder, if at times that when we encounter the hurt, the suffering of our neighbor, that it's, it's easy for us that we are more open to care than we are open to prayer. I don't want you to miss James chapter 5, verse 16. He says this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It does not say the care of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It doesn't say the card of the righteous person or the, the flowers or the casserole of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. So often, we forget, we opt to care instead of pray for each other. And I think the reason is because care is relatively easy. There are relatively no strings attached to caring for each other. But when we pray for one another, when we go to God on behalf of our neighbor, it's hard. 
there are strings attached to that. God comes into view of our prayer. Our awareness of their suffering and their plight, it comes up. Our hearts will be feeling a longing for that person to be removed from their circumstances, but all we can do is pray for them. All we can do is pray. And it's so easy for us to, to care. And I want, I want you to hear me. I'm not, care is necessary. Never stop caring for one another. But prayer, prayer is essential. And James writes that prayer is powerful. It's powerful. And so today, I want, us, I want us to stand together. And in a moment, we're going to worship and we're going to pray together. But I want you just to, if you could just take a moment, just stand with me. In some traditions, in some faith traditions, a pastor might stand up and he might call the needs out of the church. And when he calls those needs out for the church, he might say, after he calls that need, Lord, in your mercy. And then the congregation or the group would respond, hear our prayer. As a way of praying for each other. So in a moment, I'm going to pray. And I want you to do two things. Two things. Because our challenge today and our challenge in the coming weeks is not just to care for those around us, but to pray for those around us. And when someone stops you in your tracks, when you leave this room today, and they pour their heart out to you, you don't stop and say, I'm praying for you. No, you stop and you pray right then. 20 seconds. That's all it takes. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. So two things I want you to do today. As you close your eyes, as we pray together, I want you first to go before God and say, Father, I confess my need for you. I need to be in never-ending relationship with you, my Father. God, I need you. I need you to sustain me. I need you to be with me and give me perseverance in my suffering. I need you to give me the wisdom that I so desire. I need you to help me tame my tongue and live a life of faith that is found in a relationship with you through prayer. God, I need you. Confess your need for the Lord. And then, God, would you call to our minds right now the name of someone the name of someone that needs our prayer right now. And God, right now, we pray for that person. That person may be sitting next to you. They might be sitting behind you, in front of you. That might be across this room. You may want to right now go get them and come to the altar and pray for them. You can turn your seats into an altar. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And so right now, Father, all over the room as these prayers are going up, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers to you, Father, on behalf of our neighbor. 
May we gain perspective. May we gain awareness of their suffering. May we see and experience your power fall in this moment as we confess our need for you, Jesus. So won't you today, God, won't you hear our prayers as we just say, Lord, in your mercy, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Thank you for listening to this message from One Hope Church. If you liked this message and would like to hear more, check out our website at OurOneHope.com for message archives, service times, and more information on how you can get connected. Thanks again for listening, and we hope to see you soon.